Second week of a series that we're calling Grace In and Grace Out. It's how grace is supposed to work. Grace is supposed to flow into us and out of us. We're pipes. I preached that like 10 years ago. Was anybody here 10 years ago when I preached on pipes? It's one of the only sermons I remember. Uh, I preach every week. So people come to me and say, you remember that sermon you preached? Nope, sorry. I got the next one in here. I got like limited space. But I do remember preaching on pipes. And I remembered us talking about the fact that God has so richly, like I just prayed, so richly blessed us and, and his, his unmerited favor is everywhere. Uh, if we're looking for it. He's put it into us so that we can extend it to others. But there's this little thing. Does anybody notice on our art? There's this little thing in the, in the hose, this, this valve. And th- that's, that's our choices. We choose whether or not to let the grace flow. In fact, we choose re- whether or not to recognize the grace of God. Did you know that? We can go entire days, weeks, months, years, lifetimes, ignoring the amazing grace of God. It's just so easy to do. You know why it's easy to do? Because life's hard sometimes. Raise your hand in the air if you've had some times where you thought, well, life was a little bit hard. Anybody had some stuff? Yeah, okay, good. So we all have that in common because we're human. And here's what, here's what hard times in life bring. Hard times in life take the grace of God, which is this donut, which is a grace of God. Can we just admit that donuts, I mean, they're not necessary. And, and taken in moderation, they are an incredible grace of God. Amen? All right. But here's the grace of God represented by this donut. But hard times, here's what it does with the grace of God. It takes it and blows it all the way up to where all we can see in our life is the hole in this donut. I call these people Eeyores. Anybody read Winnie the Pooh? All they can see is what's wrong. And listen, I'm not taking away, I'm not into denial. I'm not into us just skating over the facts and saying that nothing's wrong in life. I'm all about us being real. But being real always, always mandates that we recognize the grace of God in every situation. That's real. It's always there. And so when people are overcome by the, the hurts of their life and they forget the grace of their God, well, it makes those hurts almost unbearable, almost insurmountable. Why? Because they've forgotten uh, the rope that is the grace of God that can pull them out of that discouragement. They've forgotten the good that surrounds those hard things in their life, the good that will propel them to, to deal with the hard things and honor God in the midst of them. If you ask me, uh, it's hard to let grace flow if it's something that you don't know. I tried to make that run. And so I want to talk about this valve today. I want to make sure it's open in all of our hearts so that the grace of God can flow in and flow out of us so that we can understand that the grace is here. And it's not just the whole It's the donut that we can walk out, not ignoring our problems, but buoyed in our strength to handle our problems because God is good. He's going to take care of us. He hasn't left us or forsaken us. He's promised not to. And he can handle whatever we face if we will only face him. I I call this geeking out over grace, or what did I call it? Oh, geeking over the gifts of God. Anybody geeked out over something? That may not be our vernacular. I grew up in the 80s, but... uh, I geek out about stuff all the time. Like, uh, there's certain things in life I don't get very excited over. Other things, I'm going to lose my stuff. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to get a little crazy, right? Uh, I remember when I was a little kid, uh, my, my grandparents would come to visit like once a year. Uh, my mom's mom and dad would fly in from where they lived on the west coast of Canada, 
And uh, back then in those days, you didn't have to go through like seven layers of security. You could just actually walk up to the gate. Remember those days? Some of you are like, what? No, seriously. Uh, th- th- that was possible. And you could just wait and watch people walk off the plane. You could look out the window, and on the tarmac where I, you know, this, these planes would land where I lived, they would walk down the, the steps of the plane and then walk into the building. And the whole time you're doing that, these little kids, you know, me and all these other kids waiting for their family members to come would just be jumping up and down. There they are, holding signs, holding balloons. They'd come through the door, and one by one, I mean, it still kind of happens at the airports that we live at, but uh, people would come in, and you hadn't seen them for a long time. You throw your arms around their neck. Ah, and you're geeking out. There they are. I haven't seen them for a long time. Ah. It wears off. Second day, usually. When are you leaving? You know, that kind of deal. But initially, you get excited. You geek out. You, uh, we geek out over... Uh, um, you know, like Price is, Rice contest, Price is Right contestants, when they get up on stage, there's an actual video meme or, or file or whatever of, uh, of men and women who won on the Price is Right and came up and nearly knocked Bob Barker over. Have you ever seen that happen? Or they, you know, uh, they're so excited, they just, they, they lose their mind for a second. They won a fridge, and now they've kind of lost their mind, but that's what geeking out is. You just kind of get so excited about something that you lose your mind. I went to Fenway Park last summer with Eleanor, and, uh, uh, we got in view of the park, and I started skipping. It was spontaneous. Not proud of it. But I was just like, babe, there it is. And, like, she's walking behind me, and I was like, come on, we got to go. Come on. It's over here. And I skipped to the gate that I walked into Fenway Park. And that, 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 listen, you don't have to like the Red Sox. I know most of you don't. But... Uh, I, my, my te- I spent my, my years uh, 9 through 13 in Boston. Uh, one of my favorite memories of my dad, his dad took me, got tickets to a Red Sox game. I don't know how he did it, but he took me on the train from where I lived in the suburbs uh, to, to, to Fenway Park, and we took in a Red Sox game. I remember that day vividly, okay? I remember it mostly because my dad didn't know how to play baseball, and I had to explain the game to him. Uh, but I just remember that, and it's just a cherished memory of mine. So, you know, I love the Red Sox because I'm a fan, but I love the Red Sox for so many more reasons. And I got, in, I got in sight of Fenway Park and one of these great memories of my life, and I danced all the way into the... That's what geeking out is. It's getting excited over something that's worth getting excited over. Right? And there is... Listen. Hear me. See me. Listen to me. There is nothing in life worth more worth getting excited over, worth getting excited over more, whatever the English demands there. There's nothing better in life than the grace of your heavenly Father. His grace is amazing. Write this song again. Uh, his, his grace should, should just instill, like it did in the early church, it should instill awe. It says that the early church gathered together and that they had this sense of awe. And a lot of people think, well, that's because they saw the disciples doing miracles and these things like that. No, I think they were just a bunch of peasants and former legalists who were brought up in a Jewish culture and a Jewish religion that was just overbearing and burdensome, and they heard about the grace of their heavenly Father and the grace that was bestowed on them through their, his son, Jesus Christ, and it just knocked them over that God would do this for them. They just walked around with their mouths open. Because oh, grace is so amazing. My hope is that we walk out of here geeked out. My hope is that we walk out of here understanding that grace, God's grace, is unmerited favor, uh, permeates every part of our lives. Like there's some of you like, well, uh, you know, Mark, my, the hole in my donut is so big that I, you know, it's just the very few things that are God's grace in my life, they're just, 
kind of, you know, hidden behind the hurts of my heart. No, you're not extending the grace search far enough. Like, let's talk bacon. You guys want to talk bacon? Let's talk bacon. <laughs> do, we, do we want to understand grace on a whole new level? Just think about the stuff you take for granted. Did you know your taste buds are not necessary? I mean, you don't have to be able to taste. Uh, you do, though. Why? God loves us. I mean, seriously, think about it. Some of, the, you know, some of us need to quit tasting. But, uh, but some of us, you know, we, we, we enjoy the, 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 the food experience all the more because we could taste things like bacon. Are you kidding me? I mean, you walk into a farm and you see a pig wallowing around in his own stuff, and you're like, that's not going to be any good. But then you cut that sucker up and put it in a frying pan. Oh, my gosh. That is amazing. Like, I'm trying to figure out how I can get more bacon into more things. I know it's bad for you. Don't, I'm not stupid. But it, doesn't it taste great? It tastes awesome. They put these imitation-flavored rocks in salad. Uh, and even those are good, those bacon bits. It's awesome. And here, here's my point. Whatever tastes good to you, it may not be bacon, but whatever tastes good to you, that's the grace of God. When you taste your food at lunch today, and it tastes like, mm, oh, i got to get another piece. That is the grace of God. Tasting. Amusement. Isn't it funny that we have amusement parks? That's what we call them, amusement parks. Amusement isn't necessary. You don't need amusement. Lots of parts of the world uh, don't even know what an amusement park is. But God has granted humanity this idea of, of happiness, this idea of, of, of uh, you know, enjoying an activity. Maybe it's roller coasters. Maybe it's music. I mean, I mean, music's not necessary. Some of you, like, that's totally right. That's why I listen to talk radio or whatever, you know. But, <clears throat> but if you've got a song, like a favorite song, like a top ten list, like if you're having a bad day and if you just pop on this Pandora channel or whatever you listen to, iTunes or whatever, and, and it's your pick-me-up, you know what that is? That is the grace of God in your life. doesn't have to do that stuff, but he does it because that's just who he is. He's a giver. He wants us to be givers. So we're going to talk about the ways that God has been generous to us today. In what ways has God been generous to us? We're going to look, there's myriad. There's, I mean, we could just wear out sermon after after sermon after sermon talking about his grace to us. But we're going to try to funnel it or, or refine it and, and narrow it to, to three things specifically. We're going to talk about them in terms of the Trinity. We're going to talk about one of God the Father's graces to us. We're going to find out that's, that's his son. Now, we're going, to, we're going to talk about one of the son's graces to us, and we're going to find out that's, that's the giving of his life. We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit, and one of the ways that the Holy Spirit lavishes God's grace on us is that he gives us gifts. And God the Father, we're going to see that we, we want to appreciate his gift in, a, uh, in his son to us. In God the Son, we're going to look at him, and we're going to see that we want to uh, emulate uh, the giving of our lives like Jesus gave his. Then we're going to look at the Holy Spirit, and we want to um, activate the things that the Holy Spirit has given us so the church has what it needs. Just three things, uh, but so much more about the grace of God we could cover. Let's just cover these three. Here we go. God the Father has given us his son. John 3, very familiar verse. Let's read it together one more time. Everybody out loud. For God so loved the world 
that he what? He gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. One of these verses that maybe so many of you or many of you in here have memorized and just kind of flows out of your mouth without you even really thinking about the words. But here's the deal. Don't miss that grace embedded in that verse. That because of God's love, not because of our worth, not because we deserved it, he gave his son. If you're new to the story of Christ and the story of the church, this is the biggie. All the other religions that I've studied in the world uh, talk about the fact that we can earn our way to God. The Bible's very clear. That's not possible. Unless God does something on our behalf, our rejoining with him, our, our, our uh, uh, bridging our sin to him, it's impossible on our own strength. We're just not, we don't have the ability. Uh, I had to move a fridge the other night at my house. Uh, Eleanor has this really old hot point fridge uh, from the 60s that we got and put it in this house that we built and uh, you know, got it painted and all this stuff. And it actually worked. It was one of these old things that actually worked for a while. Uh, uh, you have to defrost old fridges. And a member of my family that will go unnamed, uh, their name reminds with, uh, rhymes with Smellinor. Um, uh, which I call her sometimes. Anyway, uh, no, she was trying to help the, the defrosting process happen. She yanked a, a piece of ice off of one of the, uh, you know, the, the tubes and, uh, and, and popped it. And so uh, they don't make the Freon for those anymore. And we, tried, we, have, we found actually a can to recharge it, but the, anyway, long story, it, it's broken. Doesn't work. So now it's just basically a, a very huge stand for hot dog buns, okay? That's what we keep on the top of this fridge is our hot dog buns been sitting there for about six months not working. And so Eleanor's been telling me that I need to get it to a place where it can be fixed. And finally this, this weekend I did that. Um, but uh, has anybody picked up an old uh, appliance? It's like three times as heavy as you think it is. Okay, you look at it and you're like, well, that's not going to be that hard. And then you actually get around it and you're like, oh, that's made out of, you know, lead. Yeah, and uh, so um, Here's what, I, here's what I did. I waited until Friday night, which was the night that we were hosting the college and career group at our house, and all of these young backs were going to be at my house, right? Who's thinking up here, right? Who's thinking? And I was going to say, hey, we were kind enough to open our house for you. You're probably going to be kind enough to put this fridge on my truck, right? And that's exactly how it went. It was great. Here's what I didn't do. Hey, Eleanor, come here and help me with this fridge. And it, okay, and listen, I'm not downing on women or weak people, or unable people, but can we all admit there's going to be limitations to all of our strengths, and this fridge is way beyond my wife's. Like, we've tried carrying couches. Who's ever, who's ever tried to carry someone with someone who you probably figured couldn't carry it that far, but you're just like, you know, let's try anyway? Anybody ever had that something, whatever it was, land on you because you were the dodo who, t- you know, and then you have a fight for the rest of the day because your wife, you made me do that! I was like, I thought you could! And, you know, anyway. I've learned 24 years of marriage, Eleanor's not going to help me with this fridge. That's not going to work. Your sin, my sin, is our fridge. None of us is able to handle that thing. And it, it, we, we could get everybody on the earth's back in on this deal, trying to help us pick up the weight of our sin. Not possible. It's not humanly uh, uh, handled. But God in his grace sends his son, the only one fitting, the only one able, the only one whose sacrifice could cover uh, the problem of our sin. 
God sends his son. That's his grace to us. He sends his son to give and not to condemn. Look what it says in verse 17. Verse 17, so for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Uh, we, we need to fully unpack the, the grace that God has given us in Jesus. He could have sent Jesus to end things. In fact, let me, let me put it this way. Go to the end of your Bible and read Revelation. There is a time when God the Son, Jesus, is going to return to earth and he is going to condemn the world. All right, not to get all hellfire brimstone on you, but I'm just preaching the word. This is what it says, that God is going to come and, there's, and, his, and then Jesus is going to be the, the carrier of God's justice. In all of humanity that has rebelled against God and defied God and, and, and you know, disbelieved in God or whatever they've done, uh, they're, they're going to be brought to rights. They're going to, they're going to be justly dealt with. Uh, God could have done that with his son back when he sent Jesus at Christmas. Could have sent him to condemn. It was certainly within his rights. He's, he's holy, we're not. All right? But what does it tell us in this verse? He didn't send his son to condemn the world. He was holding off. You know what he was doing? He was giving the... The, the humans, a mulligan. Anybody golfed? Yeah, if you're familiar with the golf game, golfers have taken to calling do-overs mulligans. You get a second chance. I play with a bunch of guys on the first tee. You know, they say this, they say, you get two on the first tee. That means if you hit your first shot and you don't like it because it's out of bounds, which is bad, or it doesn't go far, well, you can hit a second shot. And let's, let's just pretend that you hit a, a half-decent first shot and then you hit a second shot and it's worse than the first shot. Guess what? You get to pick which one you want. What a deal, right? What a great way to start a day. I get two shots and I take the best. Well, here's the deal. Uh, God, in his infinite grace, has given us a mulligan. He said, hey, here's the deal. You are all born into sin. Uh, this isn't something that you like accrued over time. This isn't something that like you did enough bad things and so now, <laughs> label, you're sinful. It's just your nature. You are born in Adam, in sin. And he says, you know what? I don't want that to be the end of your story. So because he loves us so much, he sends his son so that you and I could choose. We could take the mulligan. We could choose to receive God and his grace through his son, Jesus Christ, or we, we can choose not to. But here's the deal with that uh, two off the first tee. You can't take it after that. When I play with these guys, we always joke because someone will hit a great shot on the first shot. He'll say, I'm saving it. Pick up his tee. I'm saving mine. Walk off because I'll use my You can't. It's not the rules. It's the same dumb joke every week. But it's, you can't. You get this one shot. And listen to me. If you're new to the faith or you're new to this whole story, here's the deal. You got this one life. God gave you this one life. The Bible teaches very clearly that you were born into this one life, spiritually dead. Sin is, is, is what God sees. And you get this one chance with this one life to understand that God loves you so much that he sent his son so that if you put your faith in him, if you believe in him, you will not perish, but you will have everlasting life. That's your mulligan. You get to choose. And so many of us in here have... And here's what happens sometimes. We forget that we were given this chance to choose. We don't deserve it. It's, it's the result of God's love and his grace to us. And we should wake up every morning reveling in the fact that God gave us our mulligan, that God gave us his son, that we were unable to bear the weight of our sin and he bore it for us. Now let's talk about Jesus. 
God the Father gave his son. Well, God the Son chose to give his life. Let's look what it says here in John chapter 10. Flip over a few chapters in the book of John with me and go to John chapter 10. Jesus is talking to his disciples uh, who are, uh, you know, asking him, you know, as they always were, questions, and he's teaching them about the fact that he's the good shepherd. He says this, I'm the good shepherd. You know what the word good there is? In Greek, it's the word kalos. Everybody say kalos. It's where we get, like, English words like calligraphy, and it basically means beautiful. Now, normally, when you read the word good in your New Testaments, it's the word agathos. Everybody say agathos. Agathos is the word that means, like, righteous and, and moral and noble, all right? Uh, but, but Jesus, when he was describing himself here, didn't use that word, although he was righteous and noble. He, he used the word beautiful. He says, I'm the beautiful shepherd. He's not being vain, like, you know, I'm, I'm the hot shepherd. He's, <laughs> he's basically saying, I'm the template shepherd. I'm, I'm, the, I'm the apex shepherd. I'm, I'm the shepherd that everybody should model themselves after, okay? This is what he's teaching these guys. This is, this is where you're shooting for. You're shooting for my example. I'm the good shepherd. He says the good shepherd does what? Lays down his life for his sheep. This is before he's gone to, going to the cross. He's just trying to seed the idea. Hey, if, if, if you're going to resemble me and truly follow me as my disciples, if I'm the template, then you're going to be like me. You're going to lay down your life for those around you. He goes on. Let's, let's just read these verses. He says, he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches the sheep and scatters them, and he says, that's not me. I'm the good shepherd. I stick around. He's, he's basically referring to the Pharisees in the Jewish religion and to the future false teachers that would come to the early church. He's saying, listen, there's going to be lots of posers, lots of counterfeit shepherds, lots of people who don't line up with the template. Don't follow them because when the going gets tough, uh, they're going to get going. He goes on and he says this. He says, these false teachers, these fake sheep, uh, shepherds, uh, they flee because, because they're just hired hands and they don't care anything about the sheep. I'm not that way. I care so much. Look what he says again. I care so much uh, uh, that, oh, well, he says this. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, verse 15. Uh, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I care so much, I lay down my what? Life for the sheep. I'm not leaving. I'm laying my life down. He goes on, he says this, verse 16, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. Who are these other sheep? Everybody wave at me. Everybody, come on, wave at me. You're the other sheep. Hi, other sheep. You're the Gentiles. Jesus is talking to a Jewish crowd. He's saying, hey, listen, there's others that are going to be a part of my kingdom, a part of my fold. And uh, they're not here yet, but they will be. Always teaching, always pointing to the future. He says, the Gentiles will be in the flock, and I'll be their shepherd too. But then he says this, verse 17, he says, for this reason, the Father loves me. You know why? You know my Father loves me? Because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. I'm going to come and do what my Father has sent me to do. And some of you are like, yeah, duh. God told him to. Of course he's going to do it. But get this. Look what it says in the next verse. No one takes my life from me. No one is making me do what I'm doing for the sheep. No one takes my life from me, but I choose. I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down. I have the authority to take it back up again. It's referring to his resurrection. He says, this charge I've received from my father, and this charge I choose to do, if I can add that. That's what he's saying. God told me. God's sending me. 
but I'm doing this. Like, remember in the garden? Let's go to the garden. Everybody remember the garden right before he's uh, uh, arrested and goes towards his crucifixion? What's he praying? Hey, take this cup from me. That wasn't just, you know, for the sake of the, the book. He was really saying that. If there's any way that I can forego, and I, listen, I don't think the physical torture of things, although as, as hard, hard and horrible as those were, were, were his real um, you know, concern. He, he just didn't want to, if there was another way for the sins of the world to be forgiven except to be put on him, let's do it, Father. As, a, as, a, as fully God and fully man, Jesus didn't want to go through that treachery. He didn't want to go through that horror. I mean, think of the all the sins of the whole world spiritually being imputed on one person as he dies a horrible physical death. Not something any of us would look forward to. He says, if this could be passed from me, let it be passed. But what does he say? Not my will, but yours be done. He chooses the Father's will. And then he follows through with it. He, he, he becomes the answer to his own prayer. Because what happens next? He finishes praying, here comes Judas. Hey, Jesus. Right? And then uh, uh, all these soldiers come in around to grab him. And, and what happens amongst the followers? Peter hauls out the samurai sword. It wasn't really, it was really short. Like a, but, but he hauls out this sword and he starts swinging it. And I'm picturing Peter saying the whole time he's swinging the sword, run, Jesus, run! Because that was what this was all about. He was trying to create a distraction so Jesus could get out of there. I mean, he put two plus two together and he figured out, oh, these guys are going to do harm to my Savior. And so he swings and he hits this one guard named Malchus on the side of the head, cuts his ear off. Enjoy your lunch. And what does Jesus do? Does he run? Had a shot. Probably his best, his best chance. He's not in shackles yet. It's dark. You know, you didn't have to go far back then. There wasn't electricity to kind of like find him. You could just duck behind a couple of trees. And, but he sticks around. In fact, he doesn't just stick around. He's like, Pete, slow your roll, big fella. What are you, where'd you get the knife? What are you doing? And he says, Malchus, I'm so sorry. I, I saw it fall around here somewhere. Hang on. Yeah, just keep applying pressure. Hang on. Oh, here it is. And then he walks up to Malchus with his ear in his hand, and he pops it on the side of his head like a piece of Lego. And he says, okay, guys, let's go. Let's go. And he willingly, by choice, lays down his life for his sheep. He teaches that to his disciples in John 15. You see what he says there? He says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I've loved you, that you serve and love and honor each other like I've loved you. He says, this is how you do it. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. We talk about that around here all the time. You know what our mission is? To surrender to surrender to God. Now, you may not have to lose your life. Like physically, you know, I trust that God has many more years for all of us here. I pray that's the case. But you should still live a surrendered life. You should still live a life that is a sacrifice to God first and then to those around you. What's he say? Hey, pick up your cross and follow me. What's he talking about? Go physically die? No, he's talking about go uh, spiritually die. Die to self. Surrender for the sake of others. When we do that, man, incredible, incredible things happen in our lives. Uh, we see things differently when we're not focused on ourselves. 
lot of times in life, the Eeyores, the people who are just all about the hole and not the donut, they walk around like constantly taking a selfie. You know, they just got their phone directed at them, the camera's reversed, they see themselves in the screen, and they're just constantly, uh, everywhere they go, it's me, it's me, it's me, it's, it's about my stuff and my hurts and my things. And listen, I'm not preaching denial here at all. If you've got, you got needs, come and talk to us as pastors, talk to our counselors, let's work through your needs. But one of the things that I will tell you as a counselor, I don't know if this is right, but this is what I tell people all the time, put the phone down, get your face out of the mirror, Quit thinking about you. Thinking, obsessing on you just makes the problems bigger. Use the grace of God that's in you to go and serve others. Not in denial of the stuff that's hurting you, but so that you have some freedom from the stuff that's hurting you and you can get in touch with the grace that God has instilled with you and that he wants you to instill in the lives of other people. Lay down your life for other people. It's for your own good, it's for others' good. And, and, and it comes to this as we've talked about the Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit has given us gifts to give. God the Father gave the Son. God the Son gave his life. We should too. God the Holy Spirit gave us gifts. And these are the things that we need to activate. Anybody got a phone that has like apps on it that you've never even opened? Okay, there's certain things that your phone can do that you don't even know it can do. Because you've never gone, boop, and figured that thing out. There are probably certain things in your life that God has empowered you to do. And because you've just kind of been satisfied with coming and sitting, you've never really activated those, those grace gifts uh, in your life that the Holy Spirit has instilled in you. When the, when, the, when the Bible tells us that we are saved by grace and through faith in Ephesians chapter 2, it goes on in verse 10, it says this. It says that we are his workmanship. We are his masterpieces is what that means. And that we've been instilled with these gifts. We've been created for these good works that he's set out before us uh, even before we came to know him. He wants to employ all of us to make a difference in the lives of other people. And so let's read about that here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It says, now there are varieties of gifts, but there's just one spirit. Uh, verse 5, there are a varieties of service, opportunities to serve, but there's just one Lord. Um, there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all and everyone. We're talking about the Trinity kind of, you know, in a loose way today. I think you just saw Paul referring to each member of the Trinity there. See that? Spirit, the Lord is usually the word given for Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, right? And then you got God, which is usually the word given for God the Father. Interesting. But he says this in verse 7, he says this, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. We get to emulate, we get to exhibit the power of God and his Spirit through us in the things that he's given us to do. Now, in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, here for about three verses and later in verse 28 in Romans chapter 12 and then some other places uh, you know, where maybe it refers to some of the spiritual gifts that uh, you can learn about in our Connect to Serve class and the ways that God has empowered you as a follower of Jesus Christ to serve him. Um, they're bestowed on different people at different times for different reasons so that everybody gets what they need from the whole body. Now, if you're not supposed to teach and preach, don't. If, if, you're a, if you're not super great at being an administrator, it's going to wear you out if that's all you do. But if God's enabled you to do certain things, get busy doing them because that's how his grace is going to show up in our church and that's how this church is going to impact our community and that's how the world is going to change by God working through what he's bestowed on us through the Holy Spirit. Are you with me? First sermon I ever preached, I was 10 years old. <laughs> you want to hear the story? Okay. 10 years old. My sisters come up to us and say, hey, this afternoon, Saturday, we're playing church. We were over at a, a bunch of uh, girls' house 
It's like three girls and then my two sisters and me. So I just, pretty much when that happened, i just go upstairs and pick my nose. And then they'd play. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, if they needed me, they'd call me. Well, they, you know, they decided to play church. They all loved to sing. This is how it got started. We all loved to sing. And so uh, what can we do to, you know, exhibit our singing talents? Well, we'll, we'll do a church service. And we'll get all of our parents and their friends who are all hanging out at this kind of cookout thing. And they'll all come down over the basement and we'll do a church service for them. We'll sing our songs, but we need a preacher. You're our preacher. So 10-year-old Mark's like, on it, got it. I'm there, man. Something inside of me said, yeah, I'm 10. I've never done this before, but I think I can. Let's do it. So I popped over my Bible to the only story I knew, Jonah. Come on, big fish. That's a cool one right there, right? And uh, they, they assembled the crowd. They sang their songs, led the hymns, right? And then it was my time to preach. I got up. Wonder how long I preached? I bet you'd long for these days. Five minutes, right? Five minutes. Said some things like Jonah was bad, officiate him, Jonah was good. Let's pray. Something like that, right? And then after I prayed, you know what I did? I took an offering. That's what I did. <laughs> right? That's the favorite part of the story for my mom. And then he, gave, then he took an offering. <sighs> you know, I had my little sister, you know, she was eight at the time, take a Cool Whip tub and just kind of walk in front of all the adults. Shake it a little bit, right? It's kind of light there, Irving. Anyway, uh, I still remember it. You know what I remember? I remember thinking, hey, this is kind of cool. Now, if you had asked me on any other day uh, what I was going to be, I said not a pastor because my dad was one, and I knew he was poor, and I was like, I'm not being that. But if you asked me to preach, I was like, man, I kind of like this. Like, I'm totally fine right now. Some of you, this would be death. You don't want to be up here. But some of you are like, yeah, step aside. I'll show you how to do that. Now, you might have some arrogance and pride to work through, like all of us who are in front of people. But perhaps underneath all of that, you've got the gift of teaching, and you should be using it. And I trust, listen, we've got life group workers. We've got all kinds of people doing all kinds of stuff. There's no greater gifts or lesser gifts. There's just gifts. And as God uses his gifts through us, it changes how we live and how people around us live. Look at these people who serve at our church. These are just a few of them. If I had pictures of all of you, I'd put, you, put it up. But here's the deal. It's an army of people around here just on the weekend to make stuff happen. I drive up here before the sun comes up, and there's dudes already setting out cones out there and chaining off. I walk in, and there's people making coffee in the cafe. I walk over to the children's building. There's people setting up so that your kids can come learn about Jesus. You go back to the garden on any uh, Sunday morning, you're going to have high schoolers and middle schoolers out there being forced to pull pea pods and stuff like that. Why? Because we want to teach ethics, service, contribution. We want, to be, we want to be a church that understands that it's not just about me. Put the phone down and live your life in the light of God's grace, extending God's grace. It's grace in, it's grace out. It's what he's called us to. Everybody, if you've got a phone, take it out real quick. Go ahead, just real quick. If you've got a, you know, a smartphone or something like that, I just want to challenge you with one thing as we're leaving today. We're going to talk all month about the grace of God. And my hope today was that you get geeked out about the grace of God. But I know how easy it is to leave a church service and in 15 minutes of listening to whatever's on the radio or talking to your spouse and your kids or, you know, uh, waiting in line at Portillo's or whatever you're going to go do. Whatever you just learned goes whoop and it just leaves you. So here's what we're going to do. If you've got like a reminders app on there or a calendar app and you can set like, you know, every morning at 8 o'clock, 
to be reminded of, of these five things. Whatever the five things are that are the grace of God to you. Here's what, I'm, here's what I want you to do. First of all, comp- com- uh, compile a list of five graces. Five things that you see uh, as the grace of God. They may be obvious things. You know, your, your own life is the grace of God in him. We live and move and have our being. Maybe it's your family members, the ones that you love. But I'll challenge you to do this. Go to the ones that you weren't thinking of. Taste buds. Amusement. Just the blessings that we don't always think of. Maybe you, you, you do a list of five that just you send to yourself every morning for the next five days uh, as a reminder, as, as a calendar option or something like that. Maybe you do a different one for every day. Have fun with it. You got a phone, play, all right? But set it up so that every day this week, something hits your phone so that when you wake up and you're off and running, you at least have to look at the grace of God. It's scheduled into your life to remember. And hopefully when you see it, you geek out a little bit. You get excited about what he's done for you. It makes the hole in the donut smaller. And it leads you to live in your life in light of God's grace so that you can be an extender of God's grace to other people. Cool? Let me pray. Hey, Lord, uh, thank you so much for your grace. Father, for sending uh, your son, Jesus, for going to the cross. Uh, We thank you for the gifts the Holy Spirit has instilled in us. We want to be available to all these things and all the other things. And we want to see your grace, God, in our lives. We know that when we are cognizant of your unmerited favor to us, that uh, we just come at life differently. So remind us of your grace. Help us to live in light of your grace. And then help us to be extenders of your grace to people who need it. And we want to make a difference in this world for you, God. Uh, So make a difference in us. And I pray all this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And everybody said, Amen. amen. God bless you for coming. God bless you as you go. I'll be over here in the corner.